This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Why movement is part and parcel of getting young children ready for the classroom and learning? Our guest for the subject is Christchurch-based educator Jill Connell, who has nearly three decades' experience facilitating courses for teachers and parents both here and overseas. She's the author of several books, including A Moving Child is a Learning Child and Move, Play and Learn with Smart Steps. Jill says kids are born to move, and in the early years it is the body teaching the brain how to accept assimilate, process and use information. Jill Connell is with us from Christchurch. Morena, welcome to Nine to Noon. Kia ora, Catherine. Let's talk first about the science behind movement and how it impacts on the brain development of young people. How does it work, Jill? Well, the brain sets priorities uh, in a child's developmental calendar and movement in the early years is actually one of the top priorities. Uh, The brain has structures and the lower levels of brain development are all associated with uh, movement. And and so, and the top layers, uh, what I'm talking about are the the brainstem, the midbrain, or what we sometimes refer to as the cerebellum. The limbic system and the cortex are more about thinking, and the brain develops from the bottom up. So a young child, through play and through movement and through real experiences, is working really hard to automate the lower levels of brain development, which are associated with movement and, of course, sensory play, uh, so that by the time a child is ready developmentally and cognitively for more abstract um, uh, learnings, such as understanding what squiggles, and when I talk about squiggles, I mean, I mean letters and numbers, what they mean and what and and how they can be associated to to real learning. I mean, we see it in those early years, don't we? Even with an infant, they never sit still. There's about 50 facial expressions per second, and, you know, all the limbs are moving all the time. You see it even in a baby. Uh, and then certainly, you know, in, into toddlersville and, you know, three- and four-year-olds, they're just always on the go. We look at them and go, where do you get the energy from? And that's Absolutely. because their learning is so correlated to moving. That's right. And, and I think if we prioritise things like ABCs and 123s, we can get in the way of that natural development. It's not not that it's not critical, but a child is really working hard to automate those lower levels. And, and I want to just explain what I mean by automate these lower levels. If you think about uh, the brain, the brain can actually only do one thinking task at a time. Uh, I know we think we can multitask, but those are those are tasks that we don't think about. For a young child, um, when a child starts to try and write and hold a crayon and do all of those kinds of things, what the brain says is, I need to figure out how to hold a pencil. I need to develop the physical foundations that underpin having a good pencil grip before I can think about what I'm writing about. And so kids know this. They are wired to do this. That's why they hang on your towel rails, because gross motor, big muscle movements, help children develop their fine motor um, manipulative skills. 
big muscle movements come before fines. So kids hang, they climb on trees, they like you to swing them from their arms, they, they pull themselves along. They find things in the playground, in your home, wherever they can access to do these things because this is the way the brain works. And if you don't automate these things, think about it yourself. If you if you were writing, you're writing with the hand you normally write with, you're thinking about what you're writing. But if you put the pen in the hand that you don't normally write about, suddenly you're thinking about uh, the process of writing. Where does my uh, pen go? Where do I put the paper? How do I hold the pen? Which way does the A go? It totally changes the your thinking process. So for young children, play and all of the uh, the movements that we sometimes get really frustrated by are uh, uh, all uh, setting kids up for, for pre-learning. I've just had a flashback and I can see it now trying to, you know, do the shapes to make the letter A with my pencil and pushing too hard because I always push too hard and try to get it between mm-hmm. the lines. You're yeah. right. It is a yeah. physical skill before it's anything else. Yeah, and you mentioned pushing too hard. Well, that's another developmental uh, learning that comes by kids playing in the playground, pushing trucks, pushing carts, pulling things, um, filling water in, you know, water and tipping stones and all of the things where they have to learn to uh, how hard to push and how or how not to push. We've all had the experience where little ones come up and they... They cuddle their friend, but they accidentally push them over, and we think, oh, that's not good behaviour. But quite often it's because the child doesn't know how much force to use uh, when, they're do- when they're given the cuddle. That's why they, they bang open and close doors. That's why they do all of those things, because they're learning how to adjust the physical force. Did you uh, and that in turn leads to being able to push how much force do I use when I'm writing. Did you say big movements prioritise over small movements? Because it occurs to me too, they mm. also love their building blocks and their physical puzzles. Yeah. And and yeah. so do they combine both, sometimes big movements, sometimes fine movements, or does it tend to progress from one to the other? It does tend to progress. And, and when we talk about uh, providing children with a, what, I, what we, I like to talk about, a well-balanced physical diet, you do need to provide fine motor experiences and... Um, things that are going to help the small muscles develop. But what we do know is, you know, hanging on the monkey bars is one of the best things you can do for building strength in the fingers. And it also trains the thumb because you we encourage kids to hold with a monkey grip or a cortical position where the thumb is underneath. That teaches the fingers to... Uh, what position they need to be in when they're writing. Uh, the thumb always goes underneath. So so there needs to be a huge balance. And you know, I, I, I was teaching for years and many kids would come into my classroom not ready for with the physical foundations that underpin learning. So my priority became in my classroom to to help children to develop those things so that learning could become much easier for them. I know it sounds extraordinary, but I recall talking to a UK researcher where children had lost the ability to understand their balance and develop their balance to the extent that they were quite literally falling off chairs sometimes in a classroom. I know that sounds extraordinary, but balance is is another thing. 
um, and even the ability to be able to sit and you know sit for a period of time and, and hold your posture, but equally you need to move. And this is the other thing. Movement facilitates the process of learning, doesn't it? We That's all right. need to get up and move when we've had enough concentrating. Well, we do, because there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. When you start to become disengaged with with the learning that's going on, uh, you trigger this reticular activating system in your brain. And how you do that is you start wiggling around on the floor, or you, if you're sitting on your office chair, you start spinning or leaning forwards and backwards. And what you're doing is as well as triggering that, you are triggering your your vestibular system, which is your balance system, your internal balance system. Uh, and the most advanced form of balance is to be still. And you can't teach a, still, a kid to sit still by practicing sitting still. You need to engage in the movement patterns that are associated with balance, which are rolling. So that's things like rolling down hills and doing forward rolls and hanging upside down well how many parents get frustrated with their kids because they're hanging upside down watching tv (laughs) they do that on the couch simply because they haven't had enough of it in their daily physical diet because many kids are uh, you know are forced into situations where they have to be still because we perceive that learning is sitting still and concentrating but we know that the brain knows otherwise more roly-polies. Um, Absolutely. It, it occurs to me that trikes and bikes as well, does that help also with the finger grips and finger movements? Yes, yes, definitely. And it also helps with uh, developing an understanding, once you start using pedals, uh, an understanding of one side of my body can do something different from another because one pedal is up, one pedal is down. And that's actually quite a challenging developmental a stage that kids get to when they start to be able to do those things. Um, being, you think about uh, rubbing your or patting your head and rubbing your tummy mm-hmm. at the same time. Many people find that really challenging, and the developmental underpinnings of that is that you uh, you have a mid, you have an understanding in your body uh, called the midline understanding. It's not the right word, but you have midlines that separate your body and help you to start to learn uh, that I can do something different with my left side of my body while my while the other side does something different. And that is quite complex in terms of um, developmental process, processes. And you'll think about kids who, are, who's, who can't skip and who can't hop. That's often a sign that, that the midline hasn't fully been developed yet. So doing things like riding bikes although I do hesitate to say introducing pedals too early can sometimes yeah. uh, not be the right thing to do either. You can have but, those, little, yeah, um, those cute little wooden trike thingies, That's can't right. you? You have quite yeah, little yeah. On, on those. Let's, let's talk about age. So the brain prioritises movement over ABCs and 123s, and is this right up to uh, preschool or even starting school age, which is five, <laughs> around five or six? It's it's very individual, but yes, I would loosely put uh, zero to seven okay. as as when that is the most critical time. Um, but but understanding that kids come into learning environments from different experiences, different uh, homes who have different priorities, uh, kids who don't move, kids who've been. Uh, from early ages and things like jolly jumpers and and walker trainers and all of those things that can uh, inhibit and prevent kids 
moving through what I call the evolution of movement. It develops in sequential fashion. Uh, one movement follows another. And if we interfere in that process in any way, it doesn't mean the child's not going to be able to do it, but it just slows things down. And everybody's got a different uh, time frame for that to happen. So if you are wanting to prepare your preschooler for formal learning, um, lots of players, what we're hearing, and not getting, you know, the... Um, uh, what is it, um, baby Einstein stuff out and, yeah. you know, um, yeah. not having them able to read and write before uh, before they start kindy. The priority oh, is this physical play. Go, go ahead, Jill. I would just say that if the child wants to, it's really important to follow what they are interested in doing. But just let them experience it. Let them um, experiment with it without us hanging over them and saying no no the A starts here and it goes this way and just just let them experiment they'll come to it if you also provide a well-balanced physical diet and that involves things like lots of sensory play and not just messy play but eye tracking and ear tracking and uh, lots of balance play, lots of play where they have to learn to fit their bodies through different things and under and, and, and learn about how their body fits. Uh, lots of stamina stuff, you know, lots of huff and puff, midline, uh, hopscotch, all of those kinds of things. And and getting them to try different ways of doing things. Can you do it backwards? Can you do it sideways? Can you do it down low? Can you do it up high? change things up or instead of saying can you i often encourage people to say i wonder if you can do that slowly i bet you can't you know so you're kind of giving the child a a, a challenge but it's not a directive if you know what i mean but the important thing is to offer uh, a a vast array of different yes. movement experiences, right. not yeah. just one. They're, yeah. build, they're yeah. building a physical vocabulary the same way we build That's a language right. vocabulary. You made an important point. If they do begin wanting to write, let them do mm -hmm. it. It won't look like you're writing. And what? Resist the urge to come in and try and teach them. <gasps> yes. Yes. Always model, but don't correct if right. you can, can do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, where else are we looking at? Growing vocabulary through real experiences. That makes a lot of sense because, again, what they're physically yeah. experiencing will go deeper into the deeper into the mind. Yes. Yep. It, it, if I can just come in there, you think about writing. When we describe a letter to a child, say, uh, for instance, if you're saying to a child, "I want you to draw the letter P." Now, the letter P's it goes down and then it goes up or you might say it starts at the top and then it goes down and then it goes around think about those developmental or those directional words that you're using those words are based on experience where is top if i touch the top of my head that's top up there i can also touch the top of my foot how can top be there and top be there it's all based on real experience and interpreting your understanding from a physical experience if you does that make sense um, it does. being yeah we're so, all looking so for a reference that we understand right it is a point of reference that's mm -hmm. right and so these directional words are dependent on on a child's experience of those words and an interpretation um, an example of that is i was doing the weather with some little children i had a cloud on the board and I gave all the children a raindrop and I said to them, come and put your raindrop under the cloud. So they all put their, stuck their rainbow, 
raindrop under the felt um, cloud. But one little boy came along and he picked up the cloud and he put his raindrop under the cloud then put the, rain, the cloud back on top. He had a totally different experience of under. Now, we're all correct, but the, the, the point is <laughs> yeah. what we try and do is we give as many different experiences of these words while children are, are in their play environment. So if your child's climbing up the ladder, you can say, oh, you're going up the ladder and now you're coming down. Or you could say, oh, you're ascending. You can bring beautiful, nutritious words into their play. And because they're experiencing it while they're doing it, it makes a whole lot more sense to so them. So actually position and space things are important, are they? And, and locational Correct. things are very important. And they are indeed in writing because we're talking about trying to write between the lines and spacing things out and That's having right. a gap between words. So again, their real-world understanding of the words you're using will help them. What about memory? Because when they are into formal maths learning, spelling these things, um, they've got to begin to formally engage memory, deliberately engage memory. Oh, memory is complex, but the best way to help a child to, to grow their memory is to do it physically. Uh, you think about this when, when a child... When you say to a child, I want you to spell the word cat, or we're going to write the word cat. Now, what's the first sound? That's what we say. What's the first sound? If a child doesn't understand the concept of first, they might not get the sound correct, right? Um, I was working with some children and in, in, a, in a program, a PMP program, which is a perceptual motor program, which helps with these uh, developmental um experiences and we had three hoops on the floor and I said to the child now I want you to throw the beanbag into the first hoop and every time I said that he threw it into the last one and the teacher was standing beside me and she said oh my goodness she said I've just realized every time I asked ask him what is the first sound he gives me the last one I now understand it's got nothing to do with his hearing it's got everything to do with the understanding of the concept of first. So by giving him physical experiences of that, he's then able to transfer that into the symbolic form because kids learn from real to symbolic. Same with space. For, uh, uh, when kids are, are writing and they're going to put spaces, but you want them to put spaces between their words, if they are clumsy kids, if they trip over things, if they bang into things when they're crawling through things, it's a really good message to us that says, oh, maybe we need to do more physical, spatial um, experiences with this child. And then that will help with the spacing of his words on the page. Real to symbolic is critical. Brilliant, Jill. Please come back again. Certainly. Thank you. Love to. Jill Thanks. Connell.